Welcome to the Biz and Mayhem podcast, where we talk about the mayhem in our lives and how to get ahead in business and your career. This is Chris Batchelor, and I'm here with my co-host, Tara Parker. Let's get started. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Biz and Mayhem podcast. My name is Chris Batchelor. I'm here with my co-host, Tara Parker. How's it going tonight, Tara? Pretty good, Chris. How are you doing today? Oh, I am doing just fine. We are, uh, I guess, uh, almost at the official end of the first week of the Biden administration, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're all still here, um, although we, we have had some uh, some things that we don't like, I think. Uh, yeah, there's uh, definitely some um, discourse, if you will, <laughs> to offer the Biden administration from the several people in the country. Yeah, a lot, a lot of discourse, and uh, we got some news here uh, from the newsroom uh, to start that off. So let's uh, let's play the newsroom. Sounds good. This is the newsroom. All right. So the uh, the first article I have here um, revolves around the National Guard, and of course, uh, you know, after uh, the Capitol got stormed, there there was a big uh, push for. Uh, security at the uh, at the White House, uh, you know, for the inauguration. So, um, you know, we, we had a couple of uh, interesting things happen there. Um, so the first one here is that the, uh, the COVID uh, kind of National Guard uh, got COVID at the uh, at the White House. So oh. um, I, I I don't know what what do you make about about all this? It's, I mean, I'm not a big I'm probably the worst person to ask, given my attitude towards the whole pandemic idea. Um, I'm not a big proponent of this whole thing being a pandemic. I'm not a proponent of much that has to go along with it. I think it's very much politically driven. But this particular thing, it's like, I mean, there was no, where's the preparedness in all of this? When you do have a pandemic, when you have a concern, a national, actually a worldwide concern, you know, what, what steps were done to make sure, did they have it before they got there? Did they get it while they were there? Like, if they're going to place blame, who gets to finger point and who gets to receive the finger on this one? So it's, right. I, it's, it, it's crazy because I think, I, and I, I, I didn't follow this story as closely, but I'm, I think I heard somewhere around the number of 100 cases were confirmed. Not that there were symptoms, but 100 cases, 100 tests were confirmed. And so... Um, I don't know. What did you, what do you know about it? What are, what are your thoughts? Well, so, so my understanding is they brought around 5,000 troops to the uh, Capitol to bring in security for the inauguration. Right. Um, apparently there was, uh, we have another story here about how they, uh, they weren't treated very well. Uh, they were given some uh, less than ideal <laughs> accommodations. Uh, but you know, they were in a, in a situation where, you know, you have an administration that is supposedly hyper focused on, you know, this COVID thing, right. uh, you know, and keep keeping people safe from COVID. It seems like there was a definite uh, slip in judgment when it came to the military. And, you know, I saw another um, uh, article that, that I didn't put in the, here, but it made a good point for all of the hype around COVID and how dangerous COVID is and how we need to shut down and wear masks and destroy the economy and all those kinds of things. Um, people were saying, why did we have an inauguration event? Why was this not online? Why did we allow thousands of people to go to DC and have a big party when clearly we've been touting stay home for months? I, I right? just, it blows my mind. 
Well, if you get to make the rules, then you get to not abide by those rules. But I think that's the going thing for the Democratic Party right now, unfortunately, is rules for thee, but not for me. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where do as I say, not as I do. And people are starting to get really pissed off because they're starting to catch on. And this is another one of those things, like you said, why were they even gathering? Um, they did. I remember the news making a very big production. It was proudly stated, in fact, that there were only going to be, what, 2,000 people attending. And it's like, well, that doesn't make anybody feel any better. There shouldn't be any thousand attending, right? Like, this yeah. shouldn't be a thing at all. Um, it's, you know, especially when the Democrats have been really pushing you need to stay home. You need to not go out. You need to wear masks. You need to take the vaccine when it comes available. And yet there's been three different Democratic leaders at the state level that have been caught out in public without their masks in events that they have not endorsed. They've told you not to go to themselves. And so, you know, it's uh, that's why I'm not. That's why I think this whole thing is so political. It's it's it, the more you have these kinds of stories, the less value the pandemic has in my mind, and the less serious it, they're making it. You know, people are trying on Facebook to say they're sharing their personal stories of how they're losing loved ones because of um, effects of COVID, and in in um, in conjunction with something else. You know, these people aren't just dying from COVID; they have other underlying circumstances taking place. But, you know, then you have these stories like this where it's like people are fighting over why didn't you do this? Then this, you know, these maybe the, the National Guard would not have so many people sick right now. Um, so it's it's such a fiasco, this whole stinking thing. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of coveted out at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think, uh, you know, this rolls really nice into the second story we have here, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, you know, the National Guard soldiers uh, were ordered home by governors uh, amid outrage um, that they were in the state. Uh, they were in one of the buildings at the Capitol. And then um, right before the inauguration, they decided they didn't want the soldiers there. And then they moved them into a parking garage. Um, and we actually have some pictures of this. So I'm going to cut to that right now. Yeah. Um, so I think this was uh, the governor of Texas said, you know, enough is enough. We're going to send our boys and girls home. Um, and so we have a picture here from the parking garage, uh, and, you know, basically they were tweeting and putting on social media that said, you know, Hey, we are, you know, basically sleeping in less than ideal accommodations here. Um, and then I saw a report that, uh, you know, president Trump did open up, uh, the Trump, the Trump hotel there in DC for some of these folks. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a, a party during COVID and have the military there to provide security, um, you know, not very good optics for, no. you know, this administration that uh, supposedly is going to put themselves at the forefront of this COVID thing and being safe during COVID. Well, and this is, I've, I've been following this story pretty closely, uh, specifically on Fox News, and I'm I'm not, I'm a back and forth fan of Geraldo Rivera because Fox News likes to have him. He's one of the contributors and he made this, he turned out to be like, this isn't really that big of a deal. They're used to roughing it. Well, yeah, when the circumstances call for it, this didn't call for it. These, I mean, these guys were called in, they had somewhere to be during the whole party. And then all of a sudden they're no longer needed for the party and they're told to go hang out in a garage. And I, I don't want to hear about, well, it was a heated garage or they're used to this sort of thing. No, this is, this, 
when you're up in the capital and there's a hotel nearby with available rooms, doesn't that make sense? Or am I missing yeah. something? Like, or, or is, I mean, this just, is this going to fall under fake news where there's information missing? Is it being made out to be worse than what it is? Um, and I've seen a few other military um, um, individuals who have a military career that have said, you know, when, when you're working in stasis, like this doesn't bother us. This doesn't bother us because when we get a chance to break, we just go lay down wherever we can. Like we just make it work. Well, that's great, but it's our tax dollars that are paying for you to be there. And by golly, damn it, if, if you're going to be there to support a guy that we're not even sure legitimately won the election anyway, can we at least have you comfortable when you're off duty? Like, can we make this a little bit easier for you guys? Because there's there's politicians who are sleeping in grand hotel rooms that the taxpayer is also paying for. Can we not do that for our individuals who have selflessly given up their freedoms as it were, because they're GIs, they're owned by the government pretty much. And can we not give them a little bit of a luxury? I just, I don't know. I'm, I, I, this might hit a sore spot with me just because of my, uh, uh, my past affiliations with the military in terms of family members who have uh, were KIA in, in, in combat. And I just feel like we should be treating them with the utmost respect and care that we possibly can, that we should definitely be showing them more hospitality than what has been. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we need to, um, you know, certainly show them the respect that they res they deserve for sure. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, th I think the big point here is that the Biden administration uh, should have thought about this inauguration a little bit differently instead of, you know, having a big party uh, mm -hmm. with all these people present and causing a big security risk. Um, and then also, it's also, I mean, we haven't used the word yet, but it's a super spreader event. I mean, they, they called Trump's, uh, you know, every time Trump went campaign, they called it a super spreader event, yeah, right? Even though, even, even if that was true or not. Um, and so far the media here hasn't used the word super spreader for any of the inauguration. So, right. I mean, if that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does, right? Yep. Yeah. That's, it's interesting how much flack. Um, Trump took for his his get-togethers, but this one, the media doesn't seem to care. They're just like, "What? This is fine. It's normal. It's I mean, it's like again, rules are for thee, but they're not for me." <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just it it just goes to show you how, you know how we we you know we like to have two sets of rules in the liberal media here, and so um, I'm going to roll yeah. into the next thing here. This is uh, interesting. So one hour after uh, Biden was inaugurated, the uh, World Health Organization changed how they are counting COVID uh, positive cases. So I'm going to oh. cut over here to the uh, to the article. Um, so apparently um, what they did was they started counting uh, COVID positive cases that were only strong positives, where previously they were counting weak and strong positive. So uh, I, I just... It just goes to show you, this is all politics. This is a bunch of crap. I mean, they couldn't even wait a couple of weeks to change how they counted things, right? They're going to immediately start counting things differently when they have a different president because they want to push a different agenda. And so... Well, what is the difference between a strong and a negative? Have you ever taken a... You wouldn't, I'm not going to ask you that. Ladies out there who've taken a pregnancy test, <laughs> have you? if you've taken one of these, there's no strong positive and negative. There's no... It, it, there's it's just positive it is just it's not like like is there like more than one virus is there like a viral family that moves in and we're testing for family members like what the hell is this 
That, well, I, I'm not going to be clean. I'm not going to claim to know all the science behind this, but I, I think they have <sighs> tests out there that basically say um, there's a certain percentage chance that this person could have COVID, and they're counting those as COVID positive. Whereas uh, a strong a strong positive test is, you know, yeah, th- that person definitely has COVID. So, um, but you know, they're mm-hmm. basically manipulating the numbers at this point. It's you know, we're going to count it differently. Um, and, uh, obviously the numbers are going to go down, right? Well, and they better, but that's, that goes to the point I had tried to make, uh, and not particularly on the show, but in, in previous conversations with other individuals that have said, I tested positive for COVID. Well, did you test positive for COVID-19 or did you test positive for coronavirus? Cause those are two very different things. The coronavirus is the viral family that COVID lives in, which is also the cold. The cold lives in the same viral coronavirus family. And so there's something specific about the COVID-19 virus that these testers should be picking up. But one of my friends said, nope, my test said I just came up positive for coronavirus. Well, that can mean so many different things, but they're all being counted as positive COVID-19 tests. And so just to your point, the, the numbers are inflated. They are going crazy. And it's, you know, I was recently sick and everybody's like, you've got COVID. No, yeah. there's other things to be sick with. <laughs> there's so many other things to be sick with. And I had a cold and it turned into laryngitis and it turned into a sinus thing and a double ear infection. And it's been fun, but it hasn't been COVID. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I think when, you know, there's a lot of uh, nuances to the science here and, and the reporting itself hasn't uh, exactly been uh, truthful. I think there's been a lot of bias yeah. in the reporting and it's so it, it's just, you know, one of those things I think you just, you know, it's a buyer beware mm. thing. You have to just kind of uh, t- yeah. take it, take the news with a grain of salt and um, know that well, if, if you're coming from any of the mainstream mm. media, I mean, you know, you're going to have some sort of bias there. Yeah. But when you take it with a grain of salt, there's so many people rely on the news to give them the information that they don't want to go research themselves. And that's very dangerous. And that's the the media exploiting the sheep out there. And it, 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 that's not to insult anybody, but quite honestly, there's been times I did just follow the media aimlessly and then realized, oh, you didn't know what you were talking about. And so that's why I've not been a big proponent of a lot of what's been um, part of mainstream media is because I, having been a college student and being now a, a, a college adjunct instructor, I have access to those studies and to those peer-reviewed articles, and I know that you do as well, Chris, and there's a lot of information out there that the news is not reporting on or that other people don't have access to without paying a monthly subscription, and there's, there is a lot of information out there to consider before buying into the whole we're all going to die mentality that the news is trying to sell us on. Yeah, so, I mean, it's <laughs> it's definitely... Uh, you know, it's definitely uh, something you got to watch out for. So um, in other news here, uh, Biden (laughs) administration freezes Trump HSS rule meant to lower insulin prices. So um, not only uh, I'm sure you saw the news about the uh, the Keystone pipeline where thousands of jobs are being lost now for the Keystone pipeline. Um, Now we're going to be changing rules that that help poor people. Uh, get low-cost insulin. Uh, what's your take on that? So um, this one also kind of hits close to home to me. I am what you call a hypo-reactive glycemic, and that means that I process sugars really stinking quickly. Um, 
and I mean very quickly, within 30 minutes, I've processed whatever food I've eaten and my sugar's jumped up and then it's dropped back down and I'll crash more than the typical person does just off a of regular food. And so I do live the life of a diabetic for the most part, which sucks because I have a massive sweet tooth. Um, and so my doctor keeps me aware of the fact that one day I could be insulin dependent. And I've heard horror stories from my friends and family that have been or are insulin dependent. And those have not been, um, it's not been an easy expense to, to manage and maintain. Yeah. And so knowing that some people can't get that because of the price and insurance won't pay for it. Um, it's always been a wonder, like, why is something that's literally life sustaining? It's, it's something that to some people is almost like air. You have to have it to live. Why is it so dang expensive? Why, why not lower that cost? Are we killing rare animals in the Arctic for this insulin? No, we're not. This is coming from, I think pigs or something along those lines. My medical friends out there will need to chime in, but I think lowering it is a good thing. I, I think you need to make these kinds of things that are, that many people are dependent upon for life, just to live, not live comfortably, just live. It should almost be a human right type of thing because it is, it's the right to life. Yeah. I mean, is it, is it akin to water? Right. I, I think that's mm -hmm. the, the big question here. Um, I mean, the bigger question is why did somebody become president and then immediately roll back rules that would keep medications affordable for people? I, it, it kind of blows my mind. And I think a lot of people are going to have some buyer's remorse over this president <laughs> because, you know, everybody was kind of talking about, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And he's immediately come into office and he's really, um, you know, done some things that, that have got a lot of people stirred up, you know? Yes. Um, yes, very much so. I mean, with the between this and I'm going to crunch COVID now, he's like, oh, we can't take care of that for a really long time. Like we will not be able to handle that forever. Yeah. Or, remember how that tone changed? <laughs> oh my gosh. Or, um, yeah, school debt. I, I was going to take care of all that, but I, I don't think I can do that now. I, I, I didn't say that. And that's what's like, I love the fact that you called it buyer's remorse because you're not the first person to refer to this situation as buyer's remorse. And unfortunately, folks, for those of you who do have buyer's remorse, there's not a a lemon law. We are stuck for the next four years with these kinds of backhanded decisions. And I, I hope that he's forgetting the next day what he's what decision he's made so he can make a better one. But I don't think that's going to be how that goes, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I mean, you know, typically what happens in this sort of thing is right now, um, you know, the Democrats really control the House and, you know, Congress and, and the executive branch. And so they really have nobody to blame but themselves. If they don't like what goes on the next two years uh, until midterm elections, then they've got no, they've got no Republicans to blame here. <laughs> right. Let's be very clear about that. The media cannot no longer say that it was Trump's fault. They can no longer say it's the Republicans' fault because they have the majority. They, they are able yeah. to vote these things in if they want. And so yes. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they actually do um, and I think you're going to see this liberal agenda soften because I think a lot of people um, really can't stomach some of these far extreme liberal views. Um, they and, are hard and to I, choke down. I, I think uh, I think you're going to see a lot of Democrats, uh, you know, get voted out here. And typically, what happens is um, you'll have super control like this, and then the next election in two years here, we'll we'll see the Republicans take over you know, uh, you know, 
basically Congress or, or the House. We'll see. We'll see what yes. happens. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a long two years. Well, it's been a long two years already with some of like the uh, what do they call those girls? The Quad Squad. You know, it's it's, yeah, it's the hard squad. to believe that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe that they've they've been in office as long as they have because it feels like longer. The the kind of ideologies that they're bringing to the table, along with Biden going back and forth, which honestly, I think I think those who are anywhere near the right side, the middle to the slightly right side are going to know that Biden was going to do this. So I don't think these are are new things. But, you know, when you you have these kinds of decisions that are being made, it time takes forever, forever. I mean, they're going to be very detrimental to people. This is going to, I mean, the nation's going to feel that they're going to miss Trump is what's going to happen. Those who didn't like Trump are going to realize, oh crap, he, maybe he shouldn't have a microphone or a phone to to voice his opinion because it can be hard, hard pill to swallow. But um, we were, we were sitting kind of pretty with him in office. And I think that, um, things are going to change. And if you ask our Keystone Pipeline friends that woke up one morning after the signing with a pen and had no job, um, I think if you ask them, they'll tell you how that feels right off the bat. Um, It's just, wow. So four years. Well, I I think to be clear, we're going from (laughs) one extreme to another, right? I think, uh, you know, Trump had good things and he had bad things about him. Um, You know, there's no denying that he was not a perfect president. He did get a lot of things accomplished that he said he was going to do. Um, As far as presidents go, I think he had one of the better track records for getting things done. Um, He may have done it in an unorthodox method which you know may have pissed a lot of people off but uh you know i'm not going to sit here and say he was a perfect president it was awesome and um but i I do think once uh people see the the other side of this coin here with this liberal agenda um i do think that you know in a year um to two years people are going to really wish that we had something more moderate which brings me to the point that this is fantastic for us as a country because this now allows the moderates to come through and shine to where we've now had both extremes, the left and the right. Um, I, I really think in the midterms, you're going to see a lot of moderates really take, take, uh, you know, take, take the ballots and, and get voted yeah. in. So, um, you know, this isn't maybe a good thing. It's going to be a little bit painful, I think, um, you know, we'll see some pretty crazy stuff get talked about between now and then. Hopefully, um, the liberals will decide that some of their agenda is a little bit radical once they actually try and institute it, um, and we won't see some of those things come across. But uh, it's certainly going to be a long two years. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I do think that in the end, the moderates, you know, that we're going to see a lot more moderates uh, taking home the votes in two years. Yeah, I think we will see quite the pendulum shift in two years. I, I I totally agree with you. And I hope so, to be honest with you. But uh, just uh, two years is still a long time. Yeah, and, yeah. and I did see an article yeah. that, you know, Trump is casually talking about starting another party. I don't, I don't think that will happen. There's been some sources close to him that says that that's really just talk right now and that's not going right. to happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that the president is going to do something, whether it's a, you know, media conglomerate or uh, whether well, he is, uh, you know, supporting super PACs or things like that. I think you're going to not see the last of President Trump. No. In fact, since um, the impeach, the impeachment didn't go through the way they, I mean, he was, what is that called? He was cleared, for lack of a better way to put it, whatever the actual terminology is. If, if uh, I mean, my, my 
my constitutionalist buddy to chime in here, but he's he's not going to be held liable for um, the January 6th event at the Capitol Hill. And I don't think he should be either. Um, and that means that he can run for president again, which means I think here in two years, we're going to see his campaign start to um, resurface and gain momentum. And I think they're going to spend the next two years strategizing and knocking on doors. I think they'll do some old-fashioned door-to-door handshaking, baby kissing stuff to get him back into the White House because he'll have he'll have to go through and fix everything, quite honestly. I mean, Biden signed what? He's up to 29 executive orders in his first week of office. And they're yeah, you not... really can't even keep track of what he's doing, right? No, it's like, does he even know? Did you see the, um, there was a clip that I saw on, on, I think it was Fox News, and I saw it on Facebook as well, where he's signing this ele- uh, um, executive order, and he's got his mask on, and you can't read his lips, and you're assuming what you hear is coming from him because of his nonverbal body language, but he's like, what am I signing? What is this? Oh, okay, I'll just sign it. Yeah. And you're kind of like, oh, no. Well, I mean, Pelosi, right? We got to sign this bill to find out what's in it. I mean, that's just, you know, how many times have we seen that? Oh, that is scary. And these people work for us. That's the problem. But they don't see, they don't work that way. And I I think that. But here's the thing. I I think what people are going to find out about over the next, you know, you know, year, two, three, four years is that they don't work for us. And well, that's they, that, yeah. that they say they do, but in the end, they really work for them and their special interests. And I think that's where a lot of people are going to have buyer's remorse. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Trump, with all of his flaws and as mad as he made people, <laughs> um, I really don't think that he, he worked for the special interest groups. No. Um, they, and They and couldn't buy him off, Chris. They, didn't, they couldn't afford to buy him off. I was, I, that's just the thing with him. Most politicians have a price tag. And Trump didn't. He never had a price tag. He could afford the price tag and then some. So I think that's why he pissed off so many politicians is that they couldn't sit him down and they couldn't. They didn't have anything that he wanted. He had everything. And so, yeah, he, he, he did work for the people. He absolutely did. I mean, hell, he worked for free. He didn't take a paycheck. To my understanding, he donated that to a charity. Yeah, that's, that's my understanding, too. But well, more to come. We'll we'll see what happens uh, with this uh, administration and see where they go. And uh, but but I really don't feel like they work for the people. And, uh, and may, no. maybe I'll be proved wrong. Hopefully, I will. But uh, I think at the end of the day, it's the special interest groups behind the scenes that are pulling the strings, and uh, you know they're going to get their policies through and and their benefits. But uh, and I think that's going to make it very confusing, right? Because I think yeah. it's not going to be apparent what's really going on because they're going to say one thing and do another. Yeah, it, it yeah. Just can we fast forward? Just yeah. Let's <laughs> just talk about forward. something else here. So I've got an article here about <laughs> Google. Let's uh, let's switch to the Googles. Uh, not oh. that that's any better from a uh, you know <laughs> from a uh, over you know Big Brother aspect, but uh, at the least it's something tech. different. The big yeah. We're gonna go from Big Brother to Big Tech. Big t- <laughs> um, so Google plans to replace the need for college degrees with six month certificates. That's uh, what they're talking about, and they're basically saying that you know college degrees are expensive and and you know they take a long time to get, um, and you know they may not have all of the value that they that they used to have. So uh, I don't know what's your take on that. So I this is going to come from somebody with an associate's, a bachelor's, and a master's degree. So this I just I a little bit in, of I invested a lot in myself, and so I mean that's 
to, there are some, and I also to add to that, to add a qualifier, I used to work for a university. I worked for a private university. And so I've, I've got some um, definite feels about this. And there are certain situations where a certificate is totally fine. I, I get that. There are other situations where a college degree is absolutely mandatory. And so if you're working for Google, I doubt you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer where you have to have a certain amount of education to know what you're doing and how to do it when you don't know how to do it. When you are talking about IT stuff, uh, the IT industry, it's been around for quite a long time. The, um, the education to it, the formal higher education has not been, it's still fairly new. The, in fact, cybersecurity programs are just coming about the last five, 10 years. And so there's a lot of evolving and a lot of growth going on with those areas. And so I can see where those certificates are going to be important because in the, in the cybersecurity or in the IT industry, certificates are what's key. And you have a certificate, you have to keep up with it. You have to have the continuing education units to make sure that those are still applicable and that they're viable. So that makes sense. But with business degrees, eh, I, I can kind of see how a business degree, it's a dime a dozen anymore. I remember when the MBA used to be a very illustrious degree. Everybody wanted one because very few had them. And now right. everywhere you turn, there's a there's so-and-so, Jean Doe with MBA, as though it's a designation. It's not a designation, it's a degree. Very big difference. The yeah. PhD is a designation. You're a doctor of whatever your discipline was. That's very different. And so um, if they are planning to replace college degrees with six-month certificates, what what is that about? Are we talking six months of accounting and straight accounting work? Are we talking six months of just business analytics? Where What are they doing with this? And so if it's done right, yeah, it could be really good. But if it's, you know, it's not going to be applicable to everything. There's certain degrees. My degree couldn't have been attained in six months. There's a lot of different variables, but it's more like a people engineering degree um, than, say, accounting. But I know accounting's not my thing. I can't account to save my life. That's why I make fun of my accounting friends. I don't know how you devalue something and then make that worth something, but you do. (laughs) I just... So I think, they, I think this is a very slippery slope. I think you need to be very careful. And I think you're going to take off a lot of people who worked so hard to get those degrees only to be told, yeah, that person studied for six months and we know you studied for four years, but we're going to go ahead and promote them instead. So it's 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 a slippery slope, but then you're kind of going to get into, um, if you don't have a degree, but you've got 25 years of applicable experience, then what? Are they any less? Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, this, this sort of, there's, there's a big, it depends, right? I mean, (laughs) uh, you know, if you're, if you're going for certain professions, um, I don't think that, you know, that a six month degree is, is enough, you know, um, certainly in my field in engineering, I think that, um, for, for a lot of things, you need a full engineering degree. Um, you know, but for other parts of our job, we, we do have, uh, in engineering, we do have people that, you know, run the computers and do the drawings and things like that. And, um, there are times when those people, you know, need to be full up engineers, with a lot of experience and there's times when they yeah. don't. So, um, I, I think that there's a big, it depends qualifier on a lot of this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think what you're seeing though, is that businesses have identified the need to specialize. And, and you really can't specialize with a, um, you know, four-year degree or generic master's degree. I mean, an MBA is nice, but it's not specific in anything, right? No. Um, but no. you can take a certificate course in something specific. 
Um, right. And so I think what you're going to see is the continuing education part is going to be um, much different from where you used to just go get a master's and call it quits. I think now you're going to go get a certificate course and then your job changes a little bit. And two years later, you go get another certificate for six months, you know, right. and, and you do some more specific targeted training. Right. And there's a couple of colleges, both. Um, we've got two major colleges here. I say major. Eh, we've got a major college and a private college that are trying to get into this industry of um, certificates. And But the problem is, is, is defining their value here in the Midwest. Um, you're going to get an eye roll if you've got a certificate, unless it's something IT oriented. So it's great that Google is going to sit down... Um, you know they're gonna they're gonna do some trailblazing with that and make the certificates worthwhile. But again, it depends, um, and it's it, you really need to be careful because if you do a six month accounting certificate and it's worth the same as a four year degree in accounting, that's gonna that makes me wonder um, either about Google or about the degrees themselves. And I'm gonna wonder about Google because the degrees have been working for years. But if Google's saying you only need six months and you're gonna be a specialist, that's great. And Specialists are important. There's a place and a, a time and a place for them. But at the, the same time, it's really hard to cross train if you've got several different specialists and nobody can do what the other person can. And that's a recipe for failure. So it's like you said, big, it depends, big, if big, big, be careful. But we're also talking about a company, Chris, that has a playroom for their employees. So yeah. You, I mean, you, you know, the, the other thing that crossed my mind with all this stuff is, um, you know, is this more towards a move of temporary labor? You know, is this a, is this a move uh, towards contract labor where, um, you know, contractors generally go by their experience and not by the degrees that they have. And so, right. uh, I'm just wondering if this is a broader move towards uh, lower cost labor. Well, doesn't Google have like a, a um, a, Oh, a salary floor. Like there's a specific starting level that every employee starts out at no matter what. I thought Google was one of those companies that had that. I, I don't, I'd have to look into it. It's been several years since I did that study. Uh, but there's, I thought Google was one of them. Um, and it, that, that, that would make sense. If yeah, you're looking I'm not, to break I'm up not, that. I'm not sure I haven't heard that, uh, but I haven't looked for it either. Um, I do know that Google has made a lot of their employees mad and they are now trying to organize um, but I did read that the uh, unionized part of the Google workforce is like 2%. So they've got a long way to go before they have any bargaining power, um, you know, oh. with the company. So, um, but, you know, generally when workforces try to unionize, it means that people aren't being treated very well because, you know, if you treat them well, they're not going to want to go through the hassle of creating a union, right? <laughs> well, let's talk to Amazon employees about that, huh? <laughs> let's ask them what's happening in Amazon that they got to create a union for. Yeah, Curious. all sorts of crazy things going on uh, across the big tech. So I have another story here that I'll bring up uh, about big tech. And there's a North Dakota bill. Uh, you know, now it's just a bill. It's not a law yet. And there's a lot of things that have to happen to turn a, a bill into a law. Yeah. Uh, but it would allow lawsuits over big tech censorship. And I want, I, you know, I just was kind of in my mind going, is this sort of the next step? Is this how we're going to keep big tech? Um, you know, is this how we're going to keep them accountable? Is that the state law? Because if you have 50 different states that have censorship laws, um, you know, you're going to have 50 individual lawsuits against censorship. And it's, it's going to make the legal department of, of all these big tech companies very shy of, of doing any sort of censorship or doing anything that would get them in a position to be sued. Yeah, this is... I think we're back to the slippery slope idea. Um, 
I, I do think that, again, I believe in free enterprise. So if Facebook and Twitter wanted to censor, um, okay. But I think you have to take the, the, the consequences that go along with that. And that means you also have to allow for other platforms to allow to also enjoy free enterprise. And so I'm going to get specific here and mention Parler because I was on Parler. And it was very nice to see all the good, the bad, and the ugly that you can see from people. And yet the big tech shut that down because Amazon, um, as a server provider, said you guys don't follow our standards. Okay. Um, I think that's, I, I don't know what all that is about. I'm not familiar with those ins and outs, but at the same time, I don't know that you have a right to tell another, I don't think one business has a right to tell another business how to run. I never would have associated Parler to Amazon because I didn't know Amazon hosted anything at, you know, at the platform level. And so that to me, they're not liable. And in my opinion, Parler or Facebook or Twitter, none of those guys are liable for what other people say. They just give everybody a platform. You say what you say. And then the person who's saying it owns the liability in my opinion but if that's not how it's being run in the background that we don't know about, what's going on? Like, are we, what's the fine print that we're not seeing where these people are censoring others and they're shutting other companies down because they're not following the standards that they created? That's, that's where I'm kind of getting curious at about all of this. Um, yeah, so, I think a, a lot of people don't realize just how enmeshed the the big tech companies are, right? I mean, right. you know, Amazon hosts a lot of, I mean, Amazon hosts part of Twitter, apparently, is what came out of over all of this. Yeah. And Amazon hosts a lot of other companies and things. So, I mean, that's a big part of their business is, is web hosting services. And that's fine. I mean, they have the computer farms for that and all that kind of stuff. But, right. um, you know, basically, when you are the web host, you you have, you know, you can dictate to other companies what they can and can't do on your on your service. Right. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, to to an extent, they do have, um, you know, a right to, you know, basically turn turn a service off if they, um, you know, think that it's a liability to them, but, um, you know, if they're going to turn the service off because it's a competitor that they don't like, then that's, you know, another story. But, um, you know, as private companies, I think they're, they're pretty much can do, you know, whatever they want because, you know, free speech doesn't apply to a private company in that instance. So, um, you know, it's not like it's a, you know, a government website kind of thing. So, um, it's really interesting. And, uh, I mean, there's a large opportunity out there for somebody that wants to spin up a big web host, to, you know, to, to host conservative yeah. media. Um, but that's what the Trump free market version. does. You might, well, see, that's the thing. It's not a free market. If you can, if one business can shut down another business because they don't like their business, uh, dealings, then that, that isn't right. And if Amazon doesn't want to be held liable, put that in your legal documentation in the contract. That's what the legal team is for, right? So it's I don't feel like this is a liability issue. I feel like it's a the the I think it's a political issue. The far left saying we don't want anybody seeing this stuff. We don't want people thinking this way. Shut it down and get do what you have to do. Um, and I, I I bring that up because I remember a few years ago when the Zuck was on. He was at Capitol Hill, and he had to testify because the government came down on him saying you're selling data you're not supposed to be selling you are violating people's privacy and you're not supposed to be doing that. And I think that that, and he wasn't, um, I mean, he was held liable for a couple of things, but I think ultimately government said, wait a second, we have an idea for you. We'll let you off this hook a little bit, but you're going to have to play nice with us. Yeah. You know, and those kinds of things I think have happened because 
Zuck hasn't been back at the on the spotlight with with the government in quite some time, and he was up on that spotlight off and on religiously for you know for as long as I can remember. I got tired of hearing about him. In fact, that's how you learned who he was was because he was being put on the spot and he was being asked by Congress all kinds of questions. He's being in, interrogated for for the way his business was running, and so um, yeah, I don't I don't know that. Uh, I'm curious as to why, if why do we need a bill that's going to allow you to sue for censorship? What's why are companies being able to shut other companies down? Why isn't aren't the lawyers doing their job in preventing the liability? I mean, well, that's, but that's that's the problem right now is you got that what is it Section Two Thirty thing, which yeah. basically says that they're not liable for the content that's on their platform, so they can't be sued, right? I mean, so they they have protections now that right. that allow them to operate sort of in this gray area. And I think what they're trying to do with these laws or with these laws is say, no, if you're going to, if you're going to act like that, where you're going to moderate these businesses like this, um, then you do not, should not get the uh, protection of that section 230. So, um, I mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of fine detail points with the legal stuff yeah. here. Um, you know, but I think at the end of the day, if, um, you know, Facebook decides that they're only going to have liberal speech on their platform, um, then they, then that's fine. They're a private company. Then, I mean, there'll be other platforms that spring up that allow conservative speech or moderate speech. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to, are they still going to enjoy those protections of the section 230, which allowed them to grow as fast as they did? Well, in addition to that, if Trump didn't have the mouth on him that he did, they wouldn't have grown like they did. I think that he caused a lot of controversy. He caused a lot of drama and people are attracted to drama. It's what sells. When you got a guy that has a mouth on him, you're not thinking he's an idiot. I'm done listening to this guy. You're thinking he's an idiot. What is he going to say next that I can get all excited about? And how can I interject my opinion? So I, I, I still find that ironic that the, the guy that helped these people, these companies, big tech grow to the level that they did, shut him down and shut Parler down. It's like, I mean, I'm not a fan of his rhetoric either. Let's be clear, but um, I, it just, it, it just very political. I think that's all it comes down to is politics. And that's, that's so sad. It's, it should, people should be allowed to have free enterprise. They should be allowed to run their business the way that they want to within the law and the law should make sense, but I mean, how weird, we're the same country that tried to impeach a president that was no longer in office. So what's that, what does that say for us? Yeah. I mean, the only reason they were trying to finish this impeachment is so he, he can't run for president exactly. again. So, I mean, it's really just political blocking at this point. Um, yeah. and I don't think they'll be successful in the end because I don't think they'll have enough votes, but, right. um, they shouldn't be wasting money on it anyhow, because he's not in office anymore. You know, the constitution is yeah. pretty clear about that. Uh, but people are arguing about that, but that's a, that's a whole nother, uh, a whole nother topic there, but it, it'll be definitely interesting to see what happens. I mean, in a true free market, um, you know, you have these liberal companies that are shutting down conservative companies. Um, you would think that there would be conservative, um, you know, media that would pop up to to give people an outlet for for those sorts of things. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, not holding out big hopes anything radical will happen anytime quick, okay. but um, it certainly has people talking right now. Yeah, it does, and it, it will continue to have them talking. I'm sure. Good it times. <laughs> well, you ready to talk about career workout? Yeah, let's talk something positive. All let's right, go let's go do talk about something positive.
it's time to work that career and lift and push and lift and push. You got it. Now harder, lift and push. It's the career workout. All right, so for career workout here, we have an article, uh, five signs you need to take a risk in your career. So what's that all about, Terry? So um, I happen to have a recent opportunity to take a risk, and I took it my career, and uh, it's going well. Um, and so it got me thinking, you know, how often do I do this? How often do I take risks in my career? How often does anybody take risks in their career? And I come down to when it comes to actually you know, building my career up or taking that next step in my career. I don't do that very often. I don't think maybe I do, but for me, it's like, I kind of take some, what I think are some safe routes, some routes that are um, low risk. So they're going to be kind of like low reward a little bit. So I started looking around and I found that, you know, sometimes taking risks, especially if they're big risks, they can yield really big rewards. And I think outside of work, we all experience those big rewards if we take the big risks. And if you've been a business owner, then you also know what it's like to take a big risk and get a big reward. Um, but you also know that sometimes not well calculated risk uh, will result in um, you having to pay out versus, you know, somebody paying into you. And so I thought, well, this would be, you know, how many other people out there don't take risks when they could and how do they know? I mean, like, when is the time to strategize a risk and how do you do it? So started looking around and I found this article on Forbes.com, five signs you need to take a risk in your career. And it starts off with the number one is you're self-sabotaging because you're bored. So if you are, and this is, it's about not feeling challenged at work, not feeling in my, uh, for me, that's not feeling purposeful. I like to feel like I'm doing something, um, like I'm making a little bit of a difference. I don't have to feel like I'm making a huge difference, but I need to feel like the, the what I'm contributing makes sense and it's worthwhile. Um, it's not always going to be valued. It's nice to feel valued at work, but there are times when you're just going to have those, I don't feel valued, but that's okay because the paycheck is nice. But if you're just outright bored more than you know, 40, 50% of the time, you're probably going to end up self-sabotaging yourself and essentially you know, keeping yourself from getting uh, noticed for that next promotion or, or being seen as somebody that's going to be the next big thing at work. And so you definitely want to... If you're, if you're bored and you can't get any more work from your own boss because they tell you I don't have anything for you, then it's probably time to look in other places and take that risk to, to jump to the next career or to the next promotion. Um, this is a great one. Um, I've never felt this way myself necessarily where you've hit a ceiling and you're wasting potential. And I've seen other people that have got to this point where you know, some of us are steady eddies in our position, and that means we like where we're at, we're happy where we're at, we feel like we've hit our point and we're great. And then there's those that are kind of like me where it's like, this is great, but I could be doing more and I want to do more. And I feel like I could be, I'm not, my skills aren't being used to their fullest. I know that I, I know I have felt that way. I don't know if you felt that way before Chris being an engineer, that's going to be a completely different feeling than I'm not an engineer. So I, that's going to be right. a completely different mindset. Um, but when you, um, when you feel like you've hit the top of where you can go in your position, you've made it that fabulous art that it's going to be, you're not gaining, you're not being challenged, you're not growing, then it's probably time to look at what risks you can take to start building onto your career a little bit more and take that next step to build up on your career. Um, your fears don't stand up to scrutiny. And so what that means is that, you know, you've making the change scares you. And if you are, you know, 
if you share these fears with other people, and, the, and as the article says, you share them with friends or colleagues, and they don't seem as alarmed as you do, then um, then maybe you're you're holding yourself back. And so, if you're overthinking things, you are reading into things that aren't there, and, you, and you'll know this because people are going to say, eh, I, I don't think that's what that is. I, I think you're overthinking that. I think you're making too much of that. Then it's it's probably it's a good sign that maybe you're as far as you can go mentally in your position, and you might be. Um, you might even be a little bit uh, burned out and ready for the next step. And so it's time to start looking at other, other options, time to start looking at risks. Uh, your life is in flux anyway. Whose life hasn't been in flux this entire last year of COVID? Anybody? Anybody? I feel like hollering Bueller. Um, when you're, you got to be careful to recognize when you're your life is in transition, your personal life or your kids' lives are in transition, which will definitely impact you. I know it does me, Chris. I'm sure you can um, you can get on that that train. When, when things change in your kids' lives, it definitely changes your life a little bit. So you need to understand where the changes are at and if they are definitely impacting you at work or if it's, you know, if you're just letting your personal personal life spill into your work life. So be careful to identify the boundaries between work and personal and emotional for sure. Because um, sometimes you can be experiencing high emotional changes. Like, a, you know, I've got a, a friend that's gone through a breakup and to her, everything was falling apart. She hated her job. And then once she got past the breakup, she's like, oh, I love my job. I don't want to leave my job. So you really need to be careful as to where the changes really need to occur at. And if you are... Um, What's the word? It's really huge. Compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. I think I said it right. I never said that <laughs> word right. Yeah. Be sure to learn how to compartmentalize so that you don't make, you don't take an unnecessary risk because you you weren't paying attention to what was going on around you. And then five, and this is it. Kind of, this one when you're being called that reminds me of something religious. I've been called to this. This is my calling. Um, those are specific to talents. And so if you've like, you know, going back to what you said, Chris, about specializations, when you're in a place where you're not getting to use that specialization and there's this job that's hollering at you, you know, and it it appeals to all of your strengths, it looks like it's going to challenge your weaknesses and help you grow there. And it just looks like this is, it's just calling to you. You really need to look at that kind of risk and what does the reward look like associated with that risk? And how can you make that risk happen? And that's the, I think the biggest thing is strategizing risks and making sure that when you go for them, you're communicating to the proper people, you're being honest with yourself, and that you're not catching the wrong person by surprise, because that can, uh, that can certainly backfire when you're trying to build your career. That's a good way to, uh, um, to take, you know, have your career hit a negative, take a negative turn if you're not careful. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the, in, in looking at the things that I've been, um, the risk that I've been looking at here, which was kind of an unexpected one, I was able to look through all these myself and kind of determine, yeah, I, I you know, I'm kind of new to where I'm at, but I think there is some opportunity here. I think there's a, a worthwhile risk to take. And as I looked through the strategizing of it and talked with my allies, I was able to say, yeah, this is going to be a worthwhile risk and I can go ahead and pursue it. Um, I don't know that I've taken a risk that went wrong because I've been too much of a scaredy cat in my past. I, what about you, Chris? Have you taken any have you tr- taken any risks and gotten a reward out of it or gotten hit and, you know, sideswiped with it? Well, yeah, I, I mean, throughout my career, I always tell, you know, new uh, folks or folks that are just starting their career, 
uh, you know, if I had given, if I had, if you had talked to me at the beginning of my career and asked me where my career was going to go, I would have drawn this nice straight line. And in reality, if I gave a three-year-old a crayon, that would have been a more accurate map of where my career went, you know, and I've, right. I've certainly had jobs that, you know, I took and then decided, yeah, well, this wasn't a, such a great move. It wasn't the right fit. The company wasn't the right fit or the position wasn't the right fit, that kind of a thing. But yeah. I mean, I think overall the, the position changes have been good and they've, they've allowed me to grow and allowed me to try a lot of different things. And so, um, I think overall it's, it's been positive. You'll get one, you know, here and there that, you know, really felt like a mistake, but I think overall, um, you know, challenging <laughs> yourself in a new position to grow, maybe being a little uncomfortable in the beginning, not yeah. all that bad of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely had a position where I thought, oh, this was, this was bad. This is, this is bad. We need to leave. Not good. And then it's hard, it's hard to know how do you, do you just jump ship right away or do you transition easily out? What do you do? And um, yeah, and I, I think that's just individual, right? It's every, every yeah. situation is different. And, um, you know, sometimes new opportunities don't always come around just right away. So yeah. Um, you know, I think the big thing is don't take steps backwards, you know, just cause you're uncomfortable. Um, don't take a step backward to go back to where you were, um, just because you're maybe a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. and again, every situation is different. You're going to have to evaluate it because there may be times that it's totally appropriate to say, you know what, this isn't for me. This isn't a good fit. I'm not going to grow here, whatever yeah. it is. Um, and then go back to, to something else that you were doing. But, you know, I, I would encourage people if, you know, you move into a position or you see a position that that's available to you that you can apply for or go for, um, you know, if, if it's making you a little bit uncomfortable, it'll probably give you the opportunity to grow. Yes, that's the key. Uncomfortable does mean growth one way or another. <laughs> just just try it. Try it. It'll be fine. <laughs> try it. You'll love it. <laughs> Mikey likes it. <laughs> Mikey likes it. Yeah. Half our <laughs> listeners probably don't know who Mikey is that we're talking about. Oh my gosh. Please tell me you do. Well, they just came out with a new commercial, but Mikey's a chick, so she's a little girl this time. So it should be interesting. <laughs> I Mikey. haven't seen that one. You ready to do cute. our career fail? Oh, please. I'm dying for this one. Career fail of the week. So what have you got here uh, for career fail? I, I can't even say this word, so I'm going to let so, you take care of it. Um, it's Seiki. Her name is Jen Seiki, so return of the Seiki. So if you have been following Biden's administration, Jen Seiki, that's P-S-A-K-I. She has returned to the White House. She was a part of the Obama administration, and she did not... Um, float too far away during Trump's four years. She's been in the background. And with Biden's administration, he named her as his White House press secretary. And so I find this interesting for several things. Um, one, she was not a well-liked individual. Her first go-around in the Obama administration, I think she was the director of communications then. And um, she was not the most popular person. And when you follow an act like um, McEnany, um, Kaylee McEnany, it's oh it's those are some big badass shoes to fill i i watched mckinney mckinney somebody correct me because i'm pretty sure i'm saying that wrong i watched kaylee as she just literally just handed reporters their back into them in the press secretary in the white house press secretary room and the briefing room 
Um, and there's, there's memes on them. There's some really hilarious memes. And she really, I mean, Sarah Sanders did a great job, but Kaylee just took that job and blew it out of the water. She didn't take gruff from any of the reporters she was talking to. She took on the tough questions. She powered through everything and she didn't hesitate. She didn't stutter. She made it real clear, you know, what she knew. And she's very confident. She's very poised, very well put together. Enter Jen Seiki, who it, you basically go from, and, and I, this is the easiest way to put it, you went from ass kicker to an ass kisser is, is kind of where it's going on to. And, um, you know, she's not taking the, she's not receiving any difficult questions. Um, she's, as the, the article says, she's handing an olive branch to the reporters after four years of so-called combativeness from the Trump administration. And so um, I'm kind of worried about how her, um, how she's being seen because the feedback I'm seeing on social media is not kind. It is not kind at all from the way that she presents herself. Um, she's being compared to Kaylee a lot. Kaylee was very high maintenance looking. Um, Seiki is very not high maintenance looking. Um, the way that they offer information, Jen's, um, Jen Seiki's presentation verbally is very, uh, um, I'll get back to you on that. I haven't had that conversation. I'm not aware of that information. I've not received comment on that. So she's found a, like 2000 ways to say, I don't know. And so she doesn't seem to be very well prepared. She doesn't seem to have her words um, very fluid. There's a lot of uhs and ums and ohs. If you watch her and I've watched her a lot this last week, she touches her face a lot. She touches her hair a lot. She's just not well put together at the, the, the podium. And that worries me when you're the press secretary and you're coming in after somebody like Kaylee McKinney, McKinney um, I'm going to keep screwing that up. You've got some big shoes to fill. There's some expectations that have been set. And this worries me a little bit that you come in and I realize she's got her own style, but she's got a very, in my opinion, a very condescending look on her face when any reporter is asking her a question. You know that half-hearted smile your mother would give you as you're asking for something from her and the yeah. see the that look is like, mm, I'm not gonna, I can't believe you're asking me this right now. Mm. You know, that's, and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm entering into dangerous territory. I should probably back out while I still have a chance. <laughs> and that's that look that she has on her face. 90% of the time, if not the entire time that she's in the press room. And so I worry about this a little bit. I don't feel like this is... Um, a great way to represent yourself. I don't feel like this is the, 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 the representation that the Biden administration deserves. And I, I say that, and I'm not a Biden fan. I'm not a Biden supporter. I take that back. I'm a Biden supporter because I want him to succeed. So let's keep that straight. I did not vote for this man. I did not, I, I don't agree with much of anything that he says, but I want him to be successful, but I wish he was represented by somebody stronger. Somebody that could say, yeah, we're going to, he said, we're going to get these vaccinations and we're going to find a way to do it. This is the plan right now. And that plan could change, you know, something forceful and dominating on that stand. And she's just weak and it's just not a good, she's getting a lot of negative feedback. So I don't know how long she'll be in this role. That, that'll that be interesting to see if how long that they, how long before they realize she's not a good part of the formula to get Biden's likability up and hold it up. I don't think she's going to hold it down very long. Yeah, it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll see how long she lasts. Um, certainly, we have seen a change in tone from the press corps um, as far as heavy-hitting questions. Uh, we really haven't seen the press do any hard-hitting, um, combative-type journalism with this president. So, 
Um, you know, I think I think you're seeing a a much different uh, you know <laughs> press secretary. You're seeing you're seeing a much different uh, you know thing on TV than what we've seen in the last four years. Well, yeah, just from things like why you know Peter Fauci is I think that's his last name with Fox News. He is the uh, he's the Fox News White House correspondent, so he's in the press room with the White House press secretary, and he has been, and he sits down. And first off, she gets his name wrong multiple times before they have to have a sidebar conversation with her to say his name is Peter, not Steve. And he wouldn't <laughs> correct her at the time. They took her aside politely, and and hopefully she's gotten it straightened out. But things like why wasn't Biden wearing a mask after he just signed the executive order that you have to wear a mask on all federal property? She's like. Well, he was celebrating. Yeah, it's like that's what that's what you're gonna know. <laughs> like, that's it wasn't at all convincing. It sounded like a lie. It just wasn't like really. That's that's all he was celebrating. Can I celebrate and take my mask off? Is that how we're gonna do this from now on? Like, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you're you're certainly not gonna see things like um, who's the Jim Acosta from uh, was it from CNN who was berating the president and and really should have been thrown out by security. I mean, he was right. being very rude, um, and you know he was lauded by the press for being a hero, right? Right. Um, I, I certainly don't see think you're gonna see anything like that for the next four years. Nope. I think this is the, the, the softball questions and the, the soft cheese questions, I believe, are the new terms that are going to become very popular when it comes to Seiki. And it's and that's the sad thing, too, because she's not being challenged. She's not going to have the opportunity to prove what she can do. And that is such a disservice to her. If she's good at what she does, throw those hard-hitting questions at her and make her prepared for them. But she looks like small time compared to her predecessors, and that's not good for anybody's career you want to come out and just be confident say what you got to say instead of the 2000 ways to say i don't know i'm very impressed i didn't know there's that many ways to say i don't know i have no idea and just like that's and then there's no yeah but i mean to be fair i mean is that a position that you would want to do because it's not one that i i don't think i would want to do that um i so i can answer in, in a way my first instinct is yeah because I don't like Biden, I am supportive of him because I want him to do a good job because of how it's going to impact me and my family and those that are in similar situations to myself. Um, but yeah, I would want to have some sort of representation to say, I don't like you, but I'm going to do the best job I can because we got to convince these people that you are good for the country. we got to convince these people that unity is the way to go. And this press secretary position is going to be intricate in how that gets done at this point in time. So they're not they're not utilizing her in that role positively enough for um, for the things that he, for the decisions he's making. Um, and that's where the, the her predecessor Kaylee was really good about being that. Look, this is what Trump's doing, and this is why he's doing it. And you don't have to like it. And by the way, you've got your facts wrong. And these are what it was. This is what was actually said. I can I can help you with that. So I, I, but I'm, I'm a challenge seeker. I like those kinds of things and I like to influence. And so that would be a very tough role to have. Um, and you wouldn't be liked right away, but that's the whole point is you want to turn that likability around and she's not going to do it. She doesn't, she doesn't have a prayer the way she's going at this point. Well, uh, you know, since we're live and on record here, I'm going to say you're weird for wanting to do that job. <laughs> you have weird. no, you see me take on certain <laughs> challenges. And I'm sure you've been like, all right, what is wrong with you? 
What is I, wrong with you, Tara? Why yeah, are you doing that? I, I think the best thing that I saw from from the press this last four <laughs> years was uh, who was on Saturday Night Live that was uh, she was imitating was Melissa McCarthy I think was imitating uh, suppose it Spicer was the press secretary at the time oh. and uh, you know she kept going fake news CNN. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to ask? You know, there's a, there's a couple of Saturday Night Live skits where um, she actually had the podium was um, uh, was a Segway and she was like driving around. She looked she looked like uh, like the press secretary, but it was on a podium that would move around on a Segway. I, You're I talking know. about like a mall cop. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the but the podium was built on top of the Segway, so she never oh moved God. from behind the podium. Anyhow, great skits. But uh, yeah, that was certainly one job that I would not want to have to do. Um, you know, I think if I was to do it, I probably, you know, would be uh, tired of answering the same questions over and over again, you know, um, because they, they tend, the press tends to hammer you 18 ways from Sunday on the same question, you know, just kind of like move on people, you know, certainly a tough, certainly a tough job. Not in this case. They asked what Biden had for lunch for crying out loud or what kind of ice cream he was eating for dessert. I mean, they're not hard hitting. Yes, her. very, very hard hitting questions here. I, I think I saw um, Babylon B is a satire uh, website and they they uh, they had an article that showed, uh, you know, press corps grills uh, press secretary on what uh, President Biden's favorite kind of Disney princess is or who's the favorite Disney princess, you know. <laughs> It's sad because it's true. That would be a question that would get asked and it would be answered. I'm not sure about that, but I'll circle back with you. Thanks for asking. So glad you asked. That's a great question. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my gosh. Well, what oh. do you say we go on to our media madness? Oh, it's a way better way to go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Media Madness. All right, so for Media Madness this week, you have got uh, an oldie up here, right? What's I the do. Uh, Goonies? You got the yeah. Goonies. Tell me all about the Goonies. You know the Goonies. Everybody, everybody knows the Goonies. I've been hitting the old school stuff really hard here lately because I'm. I, I just love looking at these old movies, and I, it's so weird to say old movies. It's like talking about Turner Classic movies or something. But seeing them on these high-def smart TVs, it is such a neat thrill um, to see the changes in, in this. It's a different perspective is what it is. And so the Goonies came back in, they came out in like 1980-something, oh, 19, what is that? Yeah, it was, um, it was an old movie. Um, I mean, it's certainly a classic. Yeah, it's, I think it's 1985 or something like that. Yeah, it's 1985. And so you're talking about a group of friends um, who... Their neighborhood is in, um, it's it's being threatened by a developer, real estate developers who are looking to put a golf course and, you know, maybe a shopping center or something like that, that in. And the, the the homeowners don't have the money to, to save their own neighborhood. So they're having to sell off and move away to whatever other place. And so these kids, you know, they're going through mom and dad's attic and they find this pirate map and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we know the story. And you know, they're, it's hard to tell, is the story real? Is it just an old relic? What's going on? And so these young kids, and they're seemingly like pre-teens to early teens. And they're like, let's go after it. Let's go chase this this pirate treasure down and let's get rich and save our parents' houses. And so take off on their bikes of all things. And they follow a treasure map and they get chased down by criminals. And, 
you know, and they eventually find the the pirate treasure and they find all the riches and they take off with the booty and then they, the criminals catch up with them and the criminals take the booty from them and they make their escape. And in the end, as it turns out, one of the kids had a bunch of gems in his, uh, he had it hidden in a little pocket in his, in his jacket. And it was enough to save, as they call it, save the, the goondocks. And so it's, uh, which is why it's called the goonies because they were based at the goondocks. And it's such as an old cult classic. It's just fun. The humor is clean. I think for the most part, I don't remember any real dirty jokes in there. I think there was one, a couple of kissing scenes, but nothing inappropriate. It's just a, a really good family favorite movie. I know my my kids get excited about it when we sit down to watch it. Or we see it on TV. Like it's one of those things where as soon as you see it, you're like, I have to sit and watch. I just got to sit and watch and take it in. So I, I don't think we can talk about them. this without doing some of the famous lines, right? <laughs> it's Oh my gosh. Um, what is it? The truffle shuffle. <laughs> yeah, the truffle shuffle. That's way in the beginning of the movie. And then yep. there's the, hey, you guys. <laughs> Yes, that is awesome. I love it. Um, yeah, it's just a, a great feel-good movie. It's one of those that I love to turn back on. And you can enjoy it as a kid and as an adult. You really get to enjoy it. And you kind of catch some of the adult humor in there. And so, yeah, I had to pull this one up out of the um, out of the archives and, and bring it back and revive it. Because it's just, it's perfect. Everybody loves the Goonies. How can you, I've never met anybody who didn't love the Goonies. It is definitely it's definitely a great movie, and uh, I don't think they ever did a sequel, right? They never did a Goonies two. No, but I didn't. What I did not know, um, they, while they didn't have the sequel, there was a, a major edited part of the movie. Did you hear about this? I, I did not hear about this. What's this? Okay, so at the end of the movie, when the kids have been saved, their parents get to them, the authorities have shown up, and the news reporters are showing up, and they're interviewing the kids. And they're talking about, you know, what happened? How'd you feel? And the little Asian kid, uh, Data, he's like, well, the octopus was very scary. And you're like, octopus? Like, I don't remember an octopus. And you're like, were they lying? Like, what's happening here? Well, because when they find the pirate ship and the kids get thrown off the pirate ship by the criminals, there's an octopus in the water and the kids fight off an octopus. Like this ginormous octopus that's been living with the pirate ship just hanging out there. And it's literally just like, huge gargantuan octopus and i'd seen the deleted scene later on it's like oh my gosh that was literally so they forgot to delete another part of the scene in the movie that led back to this it's like it was so cheesy when you and i can see why they cut it it was super cheesy looking when you see it. it's like there's clearly this is fake it's not even remotely it doesn't fit in the storyline you can see why they edited it out but i was floored when i saw that i was watching a special on the goonies and i was like You've got to be kidding me. There really was an octopus. That kid wasn't crazy or lying. I'll be darned. So, but yeah, there's no sequel, just a crazy octopus scene that was deleted later on. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I guess you can go visit the Goonies house, right? Hmm. I didn't know that. Can me, you I'm really? A, uh, yeah. So I think you can, uh, it's in, is it Astora? Astoria. Yeah. Astoria. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up here. Um, yeah. If, Let's what is that see. out? So yeah, it's in the. I think it's in. Is it Oregon? Is where it is? I think so. I think yeah. Um, that sounds about right. I'll be darned. There it is. That is crazy. Oh my gosh! You really can. 
All right, so I'm going to bring it up here. Yeah, so I guess it's closed right now for COVID, probably. Uh, but there's the original Goonies house that you can go visit. Um, and I think I knew somebody at work here who recently went and uh, and visited it. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's in Astoria, Oregon, is is where it's at. So oh, yeah, definitely cool. definitely something to put on the uh, you know onto the uh, onto the onto the uh, bucket list for sure. Oh my gosh, that would be cool. That's awesome. I didn't. That would be that great. A you know, if uh, if anybody wants to donate to us here, we'll uh, we'll put a fund together <laughs> and we'll do a live podcast in front of the Goonies house. How's there that you sound? go. That'll work. That's awesome. I didn't realize that was the thing. Now I've been to other. I've been to one movie set that was in a, oh, Wakita, Oklahoma, um, and it's so it's kind of funny to see something like that. That it's all there and you can go visit it. That's crazy. So cool. So cool. <laughs> So yeah, go watch the Goonies. De- definitely awesome. Yeah, the Goonies is always a good one, and it, it's one that you know you can just watch over and over again, and a couple times a year just throw it on and relive the good old times, right? Absolutely. So my yes. media pick is significantly less um, interesting than yours. Um, <laughs> so I'm doing class right now in uh, it's consumer neuroscience is the name of the class. It's a very interesting class. Um, very nerdy class, uh, but one of our textbooks, because we have more than one, um, <laughs> is called Persuasion, Theory, and Reference, or thir- <laughs> sorry, Persuasion, <laughs> Theory, and Research, uh, and that's the uh, the name of it here. So uh, it's an interesting class. Um, one of the chapters that we're going through right now talks about when you're making a survey, um, you know, how to mathematically score the survey and how to, you know, uh, put your questions, and so they... They are uh, meaningful and things like that, and um, it's really kind of interesting, um, the, the whole um, science behind how to persuade somebody um, for, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're trying to sell them a product or trying to change their idea about a political view, um, those sorts of things. There, there is actually quite a bit of stuff behind this persuasion thing. And, uh, and I, I just find it fascinating. So there's, you know, lots of books and studies out there and things like that. But uh, definitely a, a topic that you can get way down the rabbit hole in. Um, and this book is, is one of those rabbit holes that you can go down. Uh, but lots and lots and lots of science behind this stuff. What are you getting from the cl- like? What's what's gotten to you? Like what what's been so you're like, oh, my God, that's awesome. I can use that moments. Well, so this class is consumer neuroscience, which, um, you know, basically you have, um, you know, marketing, which is, you know, these are generally ways that you can persuade people to buy your products kind of thing, right? Um, right. Neuroscience gets into the actual science behind, um, okay, so we're going to hook you up to, you know, different machines where we can measure things, and then we're going to show you an ad, or we're going to ask you a question, and then we're going to record your biological reaction to that right um so this is uh where it gets to be a lot more concrete a lot more scientific whereas traditional marketing is just you know you do focus groups and then this group says they like this ad and that group says they don't like this ad and and it's a lot less um you know it's a lot less numbers based a lot less scientific so um overall the class is really exciting but it it is a very very in-depth topic um something like i said it's it's rabbit holes of rabbit holes that you can go down uh, with this stuff. Oh, wow. That's awesome. How far are you in your, your studies? How much more you got to go? 
Uh, so I've got, I've got, I think, three or four more classes uh, before I get my master's in uh, media psychology. Um, and then um, I need to decide if I want to go on and do the uh, PhD, which I'll probably end up doing because I just can't stop. But uh, so far, this has been really interesting. Um, upcoming class that I'm really looking forward to is a class on virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, But so far, a lot of really great, um, you know, basic information that we've covered. Um, you know, we've done... Um, you know, how to advocate. There's, there's been a lot of really interesting things that we've done in this course so far, um, nice. you know, as far as the media psychology goes. And so um, I'll keep you posted, really interested yeah. to see more about how this, you know, neuro, uh, you know, neuro stuff works, because, uh, you know, as an engineer, it really kind of fits more in that, you know, whole scientific realm, which is mad scientist kind of thing. You know? <laughs> right. So you say you, you can't stop. You'll probably pursue the PhD. What's your PhD going to be in if you go after it? Uh, I mean, if I stay on this trajectory, it'll be a PhD in media psychology. So uh, media psychologists are typically the people they bring on the news every time there's, you know, violence and video games and they start talking about those kinds of topics. Um, but really right. it's, it's, you know, how can you, um, you know, it's, it's, it's basically like an advanced marketing degree, uh, so to nice. speak, but it, it's really, how does, how does media impact, um, you know, the individual or the yeah. consumer, um, and how can you use that media to get certain outcomes? And so, um, there's, there's been a, it's a fairly new, uh, topic, um, that right now, uh, the, the degree itself is only about 10 years old. Uh, but I think it's, I'm, I'm kind of an early adopter. I think it's something that's going to be very, uh, important upcoming here in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I know I had considered a PhD when I was in academia and I, I've since let that go, but I, I'm now teaching, um, for a college. So it's like, God, you kind of get that itch. Like you said, it's hard to quit once you get on a good momentum and a good groove, it's hard to stop. It's like, God, you kind of want to go all the way and just finish it off and, and hit that final button. But man, I, if you do it, I, a, don't tell me about it because I'm going to want to do it along with you because it's addictive when you have somebody doing it with you. Well, come on down. I need but, somebody to cheat <laughs> off of on the homework. I can, well, I can, I, I'll, I'll check your homework. I'm going to be doing that anyway. So I'll just check your homework before your professor does. But um, I've seen it and I would just continue on. And it's, it's funny because you've got different degrees. Um, you have an engineering degree and you're going to have your social media degree. And I stuck on the same path. And I, even if I got my PhD, it'd be an industrial organization, um, industrial psychology, which is run right along the lines of everything I've done so far. So it's interesting. I, I, I'm very um, impressed and really in awe of those that go from one degree to something completely different. It's like, how do you even, how do you get through that? How do you, that just blows my mind how you have to twist your mind um, and really train it to something different because you're literally teaching yourself from scratch and then doing it at the master level. So I'm really impressed by what you're doing. Well, I mean, I, I think it's just going from one me medium to another. I mean, in my un undergraduate degree in engineering, it was a lot of numbers and um, not so much of writing papers, right? In psychology, right. it's a completely the opposite. It's all writing papers and reading. And, um, yeah. you know, so far, the one thing that, that's kind of overwhelming is I've had one class where, you know, you just the amount of reading that you had to do, the teacher literally told us that we had to skim the material because there wasn't enough time in the day to read all of the stuff that we were assigned. So uh, that's a little bit frustrating, you know, because I, I just want to 
do it all, you know? And so, um, you know, certainly it's been a little bit challenging, but, uh, I think it's going to be worth it. Um, you know, for me, I've got the engineering degree, which is fine. I'm, I'm now doing management, which, you know, is great too. Um, but really my, my, you know, career has been focused on aviation and in that segment. And so I really thought it was important to have a backup plan to be able to work outside the aviation segments, uh, you know, uh, particularly because we tend to be so up and down economically in aviation. And so, um, so that's why I wanted to go do something totally different. Uh, so far it's been pretty interesting. Um, there's been, you know, some times where it's kind of had to slug through this sort of thing and, um, you know, but, uh, for most part, it's been pretty good. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'll be happy for when you get done. It's a great feeling. Well, I'll be happy when I'm done too. (laughs) Um, you know, I should have about a a little over a year left to, to finish this one off and then, uh, we'll see Maybe I'll take a little break or not, but you know, I've got two kids that are probably going to go to college and and maybe I can teach at the college level here, uh, you know, let them go to school for free kind of thing. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck. So what do you think? Are we about ready to wrap it up? Did we forget anything? Are we good? Uh, uh, miss? I don't think we forgot anything. I'm ready to wrap this up. If you are, I can do that. Let's do it. So we thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the biz and mayhem podcast. If you like this episode, show us a little love by posting a review on iTunes and don't forget to send us a few bucks on Patreon or PayPal. We will love you forever because it's not free to do this show. And we definitely want to keep doing this show for you guys. And I mean, we enjoy it. So why not? It's fun to get the show notes. You can, um, I'm sorry to get the show notes for this episode. You can head over to the biz and mayhem.com website. That's B I Z A N D M A Y H E M.com and look for season two, episode 25. And then you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, have some fun in the mayhem. We'll see you later, everybody. Take care. The Biz and Mayhem podcast is produced by Check 6 Creative Studio. If you have a podcast or have been wanting to start one, let us know. We'd love to help you produce and edit your podcast. We'd also love to work with your business on marketing and video production. Visit us on the web at check6studio.com. That's C-H-E-C-K-S-I-X-S-T-U-D-I-O.com. Let us know you heard about us on the Biz and Mayhem podcast.